talking about maxing out our service for the church. Uh, so we're going to be on study five, series nine, exercising spiritual gifts in the body for edification. Uh, so we finished up the uh, the overview spiritual gifts in general. Uh, we know spiritual gifts are sovereignly bestowed by the Holy Spirit of God at, at the moment of salvation. You begin to recognize those as just as you start serving in the church. Um, those gifts have two general categories, speaking gifts, serving gifts. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have one or the other. You could have a combination of, uh, of both. And then we've talked about how there were foundational gifts... Gifts that were utilized to lay the foundation of the church, given only to apostles and prophets and, and individuals that were living during that time. That was until the New Testament was complete. Um, now you have scripture, and so then there were gifts that continued on. All of the sign gifts that, that are discussed today uh, that are misused, quite frankly, in Pentecostalism, um, all of those are in the First Corinthians passage, which is a very early book, and uh, so you don't see any sign gifts in uh, in Romans or Ephesians. And so, when you stand back and look at the New Testament as a whole, you'll you'll just see this just a very clear progression from the Old Testament to no prophet to John the Baptist to Jesus, from Jesus to the apostles, the apostles and prophets. Then, as he ascends into heaven laying the foundation of the church and them transitioning that over through the missionary journeys, you know, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You see them transitioning that over to evangelists and pastors and teachers and then individuals that are in the body. And evangelists and pastors and teachers are not a super class of Christians. They are individuals in the body, just like you. They have specific gifting. So that's where we've been. This morning we're going to talk about um, maxing out your service, the gifts that you do have. Where are you supposed to use them? And, um, and then how are you supposed to, uh, to, to use them? So we're kind of transitioning out of what are spiritual gifts, what are the categories to, you know, to, to putting those into, uh, into practice. Uh, we'll see a little video like we normally do uh, this morning. It's, a, it's an old... Um, Clip from Shepherd's Conference from uh, from John. Uh, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, our good friend Rick Holland is on stage with him doing uh, uh, doing a Q and A, um, and it's geared toward uh, how how pastors are maxing out their their gifts of service to uh, uh, to the body, and uh, the same focus. There is the focus that you should have, so I'll tell you a little bit about that before we get when we get there, and then we'll get in our service. But first, Psalm 24. We'll open with Psalm 24 and then some prayer. Psalm 24 is a psalm of David. It is a beautiful psalm. It's an echo of Psalm 15, the first half. And then the second half... Um, is one of the songs of, of ascent. Uh, it's what was not only memorized, but, but sung as they would ascend toward, uh, toward the temple. And this psalm is a messianic psalm of ascent. And um, we know what the priests announced in the temple, what they would sing. They would sing the psalms. In the temple, and we know what from uh, from Jewish writing what they they sang Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday as they were doing their temple offering. And Psalm twenty four, just by coincidence, happens to be the psalm that the priests were singing in the temple on the day of the of the triumphal entry, when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives. He ascends uh, the colt according to Zechariah 9.9, and they're all crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he goes down the, uh, the temple, or toward the temple from the Mount of Olives, down the Kedron Valley up the other side, uh, through the eastern gate. He goes into the temple, presenting himself as the king. And uh, while he is doing that, the priests in the temple, unbeknownst to them, are 
singing this psalm. So keep that in mind as we, as we read it. Listen to it. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon uh, the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. So while the priests are asking the question, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, talking about the temple, only one who has clean hands and a pure heart, obviously pointing to the Lord, is Jesus is descending and getting ready to ascend um, The crowd is crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the temple they're saying, lift up your head, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? He's God himself. Um, And obviously that's no coincidence at all. So how do we apply it uh, today? Well, the only way we're going to ascend into the hill of the Lord... Uh, is through Christ alone, His righteousness. And because we have His righteousness, then we strive to be a holy people um, as well, looking to Him and, and Him alone. So let's pray. Father, I thank You that Your Word is so precise, so clear. Thank You that it reveals You and points to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You reminded us this morning that all of the earth is yours because you're the creator. Because you're the creator, you have the right to tell us what to do as your creation. You define for us what is right and what is wrong, what is holy and what is unholy. And you hold up the mirror of your law to us. And as we look in it, we see something very hideous in ourselves. You reveal our sin. And then in that same law, we, we see the one that you sent who was perfect, who did have clean hands and a pure heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has come and he has ascended into your holy hill. He's ascended Zion. And on the cross, he gave his life a ransom. And shed His blood. And we thank You that we have forgiveness in His name. Teach us this morning. Give us a good, good day as we uh, learn about You and about Your church. Church that's precious. Um, Lord Jesus, You purchased the church with Your blood. Um, help us to, to treat the church um, as just as precious as You do. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to watch a... A video of John and then talk about maxing out service in the church. I do not as a pastor believe that I can afford to ignore the sanctification of my people for the sake of unbelievers. I think I must commit myself to the sanctification of Christians for the sake of unbelievers. I I think the goal of all my preaching is to feed the flock of God because I've been given oversight. Uh, My pain is to see them fully formed into Christ-likeness 
So holiness, the holiness of the congregation, their love for Christ, as you were talking about it, their godliness, their virtue is the goal of everything. You show them Christ. You show them Christ. You unfold God's redemptive plan, and you make them thankful and grateful and joyful and worshipful. You explain the meaning of the work of Christ. You give them all the commands of the New Testament, all the demands. And I couldn't think of anything more wonderful than a church where all 100% people love the Lord Jesus Christ, walk with Christ, and we're progressing toward Christ-likeness. That's the goal. You've got pastors today who think the objective of being a pastor is to be an entrepreneur, uh, to come up with some kind of creative, inventive stuff. You have pastors who think their, their goal is to be the host for the show that goes on on the stage. You have pastors who think they're supposed to be the relentless, endless evangelist. A pastor has one job, and that is the sanctification of the people God has put in his hands. What you have to understand is the power of the Scripture to sanctify, the power of example to sanctify, a godly example. Be an example of the believers in everything you do. And you have to understand the power of confrontation. If you want a holy people, you know the Word has the power, you know example drives that power home, and you know confrontation is necessary. And that's exactly what it says in Matthew 18, 2 Corinthians 12 and 13. You understand that. You also understand the power of the flesh, you understand the power of the world, and you understand the power of the devil. And you do everything you possibly can not to make your people feel comfortable with the world, with the flesh, and with the devil, but the opposite. You don't play around with anything that's fleshy. You don't play around with anything that's worldly. You don't make jokes out of things that are ugly and evil and wicked and coarse and gross. Your job is to lift those people into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. You are after the end product of your ministry, the holiness of your people. That's what you're after. So that obviously fires my jets whenever I watch something like that. But you say, what does that have to do with me? I'm not a pastor. Because your goal is exactly the same, the holiness of God's people. So to the extent that you give yourself completely and totally to the church, to the local church, understand we've talked about this before, there is a universal church of all believers, but you don't find commands in the New Testament given to the universal church. It's given to you that are part of a local church. And so your task, your goal, is the holiness of God's people here. And to the extent that God's people here are made holy, are conformed to the image of Christ, then we will be salt and light to an unbelieving world. And I know those verses are very familiar to you. Be salt and light as if we are some type of cultural uh, changers. Like we go outside of the church and we enact laws and those type of things in order to try to keep homosexuals from being homosexuals. And that will never take place. Because only the gospel can transform a liar or a homosexual. Well, how, how do they even see that? Well, they hear it, but then they also see it modeled. They see the holiness of God's people. And so the answer to racism, to Black Lives Matter, to all the political movements today, to the unbelievers, to whatever, whatever it is, is a biblical church being a biblical church and then living that out. It's distinct. It's unique. It's, it's something that the world hasn't seen. And how does that take place? Well, just as John said, um, the Word of God, you're equipped with it, and then you speak the truth in love to others. It's a, it's a loving thing to speak the truth. Yes, you're supposed to be nice when you speak the truth, but that's not really the point of the verse. You know, Speak the truth in love. I want to be nice whenever I, I say something. That, that's not the point. It's a loving thing that you're, you're loving others when you're taking what you've been equipped with from the Word of God and speaking that within the body, within grace and granted, after grace and granted, in your homes, as you're discipling, on Sundays, you're doing all, you're speaking the truth that you've been equipped with, and guess what happens? That truth then sinks into the hearts of people. It confronts, it corrects, it encourages, it edifies, it builds them up. And then Ephesians 4 says that process matures the body. The body grows into, into Christ-likeness. So you have the Word, you're speaking it, and then you're modeling it. So you're not just saying it, but you're taking it in and it's transforming you as well. And as the Word transforms you, 
then, then you are now have that power of example that John talked about. So the power of the word, that's the only thing that's going to change somebody, not gimmicks or programs or anything else. The word alone. And then you, you taking that in and modeling that word lived out, which includes repentance and confession and, and growth. And, and once you have both of those things, then you just continue on and on and on. And as John said, part of your ministry to others, not just a pastor from a pulpit, yes, there's rebukes and corrections that come from the pulpit that actually come from the being modeled those modeling those rebukes and corrections yourself because you're under the same word. But part of faithful ministry is is con, is confrontation, is rebuking one another, correcting you know one another, obviously encouraging one another. But we all like to be encouraged, right? <laughs> we we don't particularly enjoy being corrected. But the Bible says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Do not surround yourself, men, with people who will tell you what you want to hear and won't wound you. The greatest friend that you'll ever have is someone who will get in your grill and tell you that you're wrong, and they'll do it in a in a in a in a, in a kind way, in the sense that they that that they love you. You 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 see it modeled in their life, and and they're under the word as well. So that's kind of the 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 goal in general, the the holiness of God's people. How does that happen? Well, even as we heard some testimonies in the waters of baptism Sunday night, God will complete the work that He began. He does that through the Word. He does that with, with other believers modeling it. And yes, confrontation is part of that. But all of that happens in the local church, not outside of the, the local church. You are, you're in the church. It is the way in which God has chosen to grow His people and sanctify His people. And that is not... Contrary to evangelism, it's the very engine of evangelism. A biblical church, a healthy church, bears good fruit. You then want to make and mature disciples. So where do you fit in? Well, page 46 in your book. Without admonition, we're talking about maxing out our service for the church. And so the purpose of this study is to develop a rich and practical appreciation of the Apostle Paul's teaching in Romans 12 on the unique combination of gifts that each individual believer is granted by grace. Each believer has a different measure of faith for a unique functioning in the church. So I set the table with your target is the church. And then within that church, you have a unique gifting granted by the Spirit for a unique functioning in the church. And it is most encouraging when we see someone maxing out his unique giftedness for the edification of the body. And it goes on week after month after year after decade after multiple decades in a mature church comes from this process. Um, multi-generational fruit that comes uh, from, the, from the Bible. And so um, there was another video I almost showed you which, which had a part of it that, that uh, I wanted you to hear, but it didn't fit. Um, so I just decided to tell you out of that video what I wanted you to hear, um, show you John's. In every generation, it seems like there is a doctrine that's, that's challenged. Um, you know, whether that's worldwide or whether that's specific to, like, say, America. And you're listening to John there, and he's, that's Shepherd's Conference from 2009, so that's, that's 11 years ago. Um, you see that close-up of Rick. He's a lot younger than than uh, than you've probably seen him in in uh, in expositor's class. Um, and during that time, there's an edge to what John's saying. That's the seeker movement. That was when Mark Driscoll was running around, you know, dropping you know curse words from the pulpit and those kind of things. And so that's what's being laid in the, in the background: a lack of sanctification. Um, you know, and prior to that, it's it's playing fast and loose with the truth. You know, entrepreneurialism in 
you know, in, in the pulpit, the dog and pony show, pragmatic church. And, you know, and you can go back even prior to that with the, the resurgence of, of doctrine and theology, which comes out of that, the, you know, the, the resurgence in, in the Reformed movement, going back to the Reformers and, and you know, what, what, what matters. Well, in our day, I think that the doctrine that's, that, that's, that's clearly under attack and most important for you to understand is, is biblical ecclesiology. It's the church. What is the church? Um, how does it function? Uh, how, how do I fit in it? Why is it important? And all these are byproducts of, of other doctrines that, that, have, that have been not emphasized or, or misapplied. But the doctrine of the church, biblical ecclesiology, is one of the, the key things that, that, that's lacking in evangelicalism, the church as a whole, and, and uh, that includes the holiness of, you know, of God's people. So where do you fit into that, uh, that process? Why must you give yourself to the church to serve Christ? Well, look at the paragraph there right under Bible study passages or passages for study. Why must you give yourself to the church to serve Christ? Well, squandering giftedness dishonors the Lord who gave it. Romans 12.6, the italicized words in the New American Standard, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That's the... Um, spiritual giftedness that, that's been given. So if you have a Bible, look at uh, Romans 12, 1 through 8. And you know Romans 12 very well. We looked at the end of it. We looked at the spiritual gifts that, that were given. But how does Romans 12 start? Before God ever starts talking about the spiritual gifts that you have been given, where does he aim? It's Romans 12, 1 and 2 all about. Yeah, being a living sacrifice. I'm offering myself to the Lord. Everything I am is His. And now that everything I am is His, I'm not to be conformed to the world, I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, he's, now that I am surrendered to Him, if you will, laid on the altar, then, then where's God going to use me? Well, He's going to use me in the church by, by pointing out the spiritual gifting. You know, that... That I have. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, you, you, you know well. Um, look at verse 3. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, a measure of gifting. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice, over and over, it's gifts, it's grace, it's given to us. And since that's true... Here's the italics portion. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That's the implication in the Greek. That's, those words are not in the Greek. It's the implication of the, of the, the verb or the participle that's, that's there. So why must you exercise or give yourself in service to, to the church? A lot of times, individual Christians, at least in our culture, they want to stop with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you, Lord. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything that you want me to do. And then they ignore that the Bible has already, God's already told us where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. He wants you to serve in the church and use your spiritual gifts in the church. So we make it more like an individual calling. I'm out here doing my own thing and the Holy Spirit's leading me wherever whenever God's already channeled the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit into, into, his, into His church. So squandering giftedness dishonors the Lord who gave it. So you're to exercise those gifts accordingly. The text carries that sense. Since each of us has gifts according to the grace given, we must exercise them in service until we drop 
And sometimes you feel like dropping. There will still be ashes, though, burn up. 1 Corinthians 3, that's the wood, hay, and stubble. No matter how much you strive to exercise spiritual gifts, not just your natural abilities, but your spiritual gifts, and you try to do that faithful, faithfully, you're still flesh, and so you're still going to have some things burn up on the, on the last day. So what are some hindrances? I want to do that. I want to just give my life to the, the church. What are some hindrances to, to maximal service? Well, anytime I hear things like maximal service, my mind auto, automatically goes to, well, am I, I mean, do I even have the accelerator down? I mean, I think you can get hyper here, but, but you've got to ask yourself the question, are you even in the game at all? And if you're in the game, to what extent, you know, what gear are you in? Are you in first gear, or do you actually have the accelerator down, you know? Are you on 460, or are you on, you know, some country back road, you know? So, depending on where you're at, this admonition, you know, should, should apply. You, you may need to get the car out of the garage. Maybe you're not even on the road. Maybe you're not even serving somewhere. You're not even attempting to do this. And maybe you're already out there. Maybe you're, you're moving well, what what are some what are some reasons? What are some hindrances that reasons why we we wouldn't maximize our service? The Spirit wants to use me and wants to produce fruit through my life, and to use me as a vessel. Now, that doesn't contradict what I just said about you and God. And you know, as they say, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. There's so much in our culture. It's me and God. This specific statement about the Spirit gifting you follows or comes after the where the Spirit has gifted you to, to, to use your gifts is in the church. Okay, So the Spirit wants to use me and wants to produce fruit in my life and use me as a vessel in the church. But if sin overtakes our lives and becomes pattern, patterned, we squander the fruitfulness of Service. Fleshly distractions must be starved in order to position ourselves for maximum blessing. Whenever I was growing up, you can't do this anymore, but whenever I was growing up, um, if I needed gasoline, we used to ride dirt bikes and then three-wheelers and then four-wheelers, and if I needed any gasoline, I would go out to the shed and get the gas can. And if it was empty and I didn't have any way to get to the store and mom or dad's car was out in the driveway, there was this big, long, green garden hose that I could stick down in the gas tank and then do something really stupid, try to siphon the gas and once you got it started, you know, you could kind of feel it coming up the, you know, coming up the hose. Then you turned it over really fast, and then the siphon would actually pull it into the, you know, in, into the tank. Your goal obviously wasn't to get a mouthful of gas, which that happened a, a number of times. And then, of course, they would go out, and they would get in the car, and they say, I thought I just filled this up. You know, where's all the gas? It's a really good way to think about... You know, the, the, the leeches and the, the suckers in your life that steal your spiritual energy, okay? And it may not even be really, really bad stuff. I mean, you know not to look at really wicked stuff on the Internet or wherever. You may not be doing that. But beyond that, you've got to look at what is there siphoning off Things in your life that that could hinder your, your service, and um, I mean, a lot of the decisions that I find myself making is, is like what Paul's saying. It, it's not, you know, the, the, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So, to what extent is what I'm engaging in right now keeping me from being able to to serve? Because my goal is fruitfulness, and so what you can have is. Uh, you drain the spiritual vitality, and it may not lead to stumbling, but it keeps you from 
making any progress and it hinders hinders fruit. Yeah, Mark? Yeah, it's just a little bit of poison that this that's Satan's game, you know. So I said before, he's not going to show up at your door, you know, the, like in a little red cert with a pitchfork and knock on it, you know, and say, "Hi, I'm I'm the devil. I want to come in and ruin your life." And you're going to say, "Sure, you know, come on in." It it's it it's subtle philosophies. Um, and you're breathing that all the time, which is why John was saying at the end of the, you know, the, the video, the holiness of God's people, that's the goal. How are God's people made holy? The Word is what's transforming them. Then the model. Where do you get that modeling? It's in the church. Where do you get that corrective? It's in the church. It's got to be part. I mean, that, that's got to be the, 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 the tip of the spear for your Christian life. And then there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what Mark's talking about here. It's just swirling around you all the time, and it it doesn't always identify itself. Um, And you have to develop discernment. You know, even what we were talking about, um, you know, on Sunday morning, I mean, you know the big sins that you're not supposed to do. But sanctification has to do with those under the surface envy, and, you 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 know, this past Sunday, we were talking about. Um, you know, pride, and uh, you know, those are the types of things, sanctification that you know that that happens, and you just you just breathe that breathe that air. Um, I can remember whenever I was in seminary, uh, we didn't have cable TV because we were trying to save money. We didn't have a TV at all, and and there was about a six month period of time where i literally did not see tv and i have one now i have direct tv and you know uh love football and all of that so i'm not telling you to go throw your tv out although that might not be a bad idea if it's something that you struggle with i'm just saying i'm not giving you some you know uh uber conservative sanctification deal here but i remember going for at least 6 months maybe longer without a tv and I can remember going to my parents for Thanksgiving, Christmas. It was some holiday. And my dad had the TV on. And I remember being arrested, like shocked, at some of the commercials that, that were there. And I remember walking away thinking, wow, I never realized that before. What happened? Well, what happened was, was prior to that, I was desensitized to all this stuff. And now I, you know, it's like a drunk drying out. It, you know, it, you just, you get away from it. You're not, you're not breathing the fumes and the toxins of the, you know, of the world. Your environment does matter. Um, and uh, because in that, you've got, you know, the temptations are more difficult. Uh, and then sin that obviously arises. You are going to be tempted. You're all going to commit sin. Your goal is not to let sin become patterned, because when sin becomes patterned, then, then that leads to fruitlessness. So you've seen a tree uh, that has a lot of suckers at the bottom, maybe an apple tree, and the apples are smaller or turns into crab apples. What do you do? You, you clip all those suckers off down around the bottom so it's not taking up the sap 
that's supposed to go up the tree and then in the leaves and then grow the big, the big beautiful apples. Or whatever analogy you want to do, you have to trim off the suckers you know, in your life, and that can, be, that can be difficult. And if you struggle, now again, you may be able, you may be fine. You may be able to watch TV or you may be able to, to go wherever and, and, and that's not an issue for you. Have somebody check you because it just might be that, that like me, you, you're, you know, you, you, you traffic in it so much you don't even see the, the issue. So have another brother check you in that. You do that in the church as well. But maybe you're beyond that. Maybe there is an issue you know, in your life. Then you might have to get radical, as Jesus said. You know, cut it off. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're a great tool of sanctification. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And you. Uh, that's great. The why does the Bible use the analogy of yeast? You know, for. For sin, it, it you know it grows. Again, you're not talking about some external construct like all these external things are going to bring sanctification internally. You've already been saved. The Spirit of God lives in you, you know, and so He's transforming you. You're just just limiting the things that 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 are the that on are on the outside that make that transformation more difficult. If you try to put some you know, uh, social construct externally, moralism externally, it's not going to transform you at all internally. But the desires that are there, you know, work itself out. Yeah. Yeah, please. Yes. So wickedness. Maximal usefulness depends on abstaining from wickedness. You remember John Piper saying something years ago that just stuck with me. He he was talking about looking at stuff that you shouldn't. Second glances lingering even when you're flipping through the channels, and then obviously full-blown pornography. And he quoted the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. The pure in heart, they shall see God. And it limits, Clay's talking about this influence that comes in, it limits your ability to see God. To experience God. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be limited in seeing God. You can be doing the same things. You can be going to church. You can be reading your Bible. You can be coming to Grace and Granite. All of those things. And you're limiting your capacity or ability to see Christ spiritually. And I think, I don't want anything to keep me from seeing Christ. And so when I practically fight the sin of lust or something like that, that verse always sticks in my mind when I'm walking through the mall or somewhere else and, and I intentionally avert my eyes and turn in another direction, I will quote that verse, the pure in heart, you know, we'll see God. I want to be pure in heart. I, I, I don't want that. Now, Al Mohler helped me greatly as well one time talking about recognizing beauty... In, in men or women, 
is, is, a, is a godly thing. You know, people, human beings are created in the image of God. And so recognizing the beauty of someone is not the same as lusting after someone. Lusting after someone sees that beauty, recognizes that beauty, and then says, I want that for myself. I want to do something with that contrary to what God has, has, has said. He says, the heavens declare the, you know, the, the handiwork of, of God. And so recognizing the beauty in, in someone else is not a problem. Saying, that's beautiful, and then taking the next step. And yeah, and I want to do something with that image in my mind, or I want to, whatever, you fill in the blank. That's whenever the temptation comes in, you know, and turns into, into sin. And so those two orienting concepts have, have helped me in the, the battle of abstaining from, from wickedness. Yeah? Oh, so sorry, Jim. I'm in the periphery over here. Mm-hmm. You know, for practical reasons to save money. Yeah. But the process was um, a sanctification. Mm. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And you can think about our life, it's kind of like this. Mm. We're being inundated mm-hmm. by satanic forces, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. Sure. And when you were tuned off from the world for mm-hmm. a while, in effect, you're. Obedience was being fulfilled, mm. and the, the, you're, you're getting the advantage of God's mighty weapons. Then, mm. Mm. so now you're going on the attack. You're having a readiness to revenge all disobedience mm. because you've had your obedience fulfilled. Mm. Not that you're perfect; sure, it's never going to happen. Yeah, but now the, the, you've turned the tide. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why do you know, Jim's talking about just the practical outworking of of limiting some of that negative influence. Now, the so whenever remember we used to do a youth camp every year. So the kids would go in youth camp and they'd be there for a week and they don't have their phones. and They don't have anything else. And they're hearing preaching every day. And, you know, and then you had the campfire services where 100 of them get saved. And and, you know, it's. Then they go back into the world and they fall back into the sin. Well, what's happening during that period of time? Like Jim's saying, the, the, the influence of the world is being limited you know, at, at, at that time. So you go through periods of time where you either cut it off or there is that blessed limitation. Um, you can't go, and Jim wasn't saying this, but you can't go the, the, to the, the monastic life. I mean, that, that was... I mean, wouldn't you like to to cut off every you know form of wickedness? But you guys go to work, and you have radios and and those kind of things. So you live in a world where where that that's that's around you. So the the monastics said, well, hey, you know, if, if I can limit this 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 input, then I'll just go live in the desert somewhere and eat paste, and you know, and and then that's going to cut the world, and that's not going to. You know, to, that's not the ultimate answer for your sanctification either, because you went to the desert with you. You know, as Martin Luther said, you know, the, I'm not afraid of the Pope in Rome. I'm afraid of the great Pope that sits upon the throne of my heart. That's the that's the issue. So you can never get away from it. Um, but uh, but mediating that, you, know, you do have to ask yourself the question, like Jim is saying, you know, to what extent, you know, am I out of balance here? You know, how much am I taking in? And what is what I'm taking in keeping, if that's keeping me from being able to serve Christ or serve the church or causing me to stumble, then you do need to excise it, you know, radically cut it off. Wickedness, maximal usefulness. Well, here's another one, laziness. Mm. Just smacking us around this morning. Wickedness and laziness. Our culture is obsessed with not working hard. It really is. With vacation and with living a pain-free life. Removing all risks. Um, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Everybody laments about Monday. Why? You're going to start back to work. Everybody works for the weekend. Or works for 
What's the whole purpose of the American dream? So you can retire, do what you want to do. Part of that worldliness that's in the culture. Don't just think worldliness is naked women. Worldliness, the philosophies of Satan, the cosmos that are contrary to God, contrary to the way that you're supposed to to think. And that's the subtlety that's out there. And here's one of them. Our culture is obsessed with not working, not working hard. Um, One of the things that we talk about on a regular basis, older you know, older pastors. So when younger guys come into seminary, or otherwise this is one of the, the things that we, we talk about expanding their plate. They usually think that they have like a turkey platter and it's actually like a little saucer cup, you know, just bare, barely. And then as they get stretched and more, one of the things that happens in seminary is an endurance test. You know, more and more is piled on you and you realize when you're done, you didn't learn everything that you needed to learn. You realize how little you actually do know, but you've also endured, and, and that strengthens you, and it broadens your plate. You can handle more and more responsibility because when the weight of ministry gets laid on your shoulder, you don't, shoulders, you don't want them to, you know, to, to, to buckle and, and bow and then ultimately fall down. Well, that happens through the process of, 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 of growing you know, and working hard. Oh, I am so busy. Don't you hear that all the time? I'm just crazy busy. I don't have time. I'm so bu- I'm too busy to even serve the church. You know, so busy I just can't even come. You know, to actually I'm preaching in the choir this morning because you're here at six o'clock in the morning. You know, can't come on Sunday night. I'm just you know I'm so busy. I can only come one you know one one time a week. You know? What else do you do? Um, so not working hard, working you know with. Uh, Gold toward vacation and living a pain-free, pain-free life. Being a man means working and avoiding laziness. I don't. What comes into your mind? You know, Clay and I have talked about this a number of times, especially with uh, you know college age, uh, high school and college age. You have a culture that's that's not presenting biblical masculinity. Um, the feminization of, of men. And you have to be careful whenever you, you say that because what comes into my mind, you know, is hunting and fishing and, you know, which that's a great thing, by the way. But, you know, is that what it means to be a man? You know, chewing tobacco and having a beard and, and I mean, that's not biblical masculinity. You know, so, so what are the underpinnings? What does it mean? Biblically, what does it mean to be a man? Well, here's one of them. You're not lazy. You, you work hard. You run toward the fight, not away from it. You press on whenever you want to give up. That's something that you cultivate, and it stretches you. You grow you know, in that. So those little decisions that you're making to give up or not give up actually grows you in, in your sanctification, but grows you into into being a man. You know, taking initiative is part of biblical masculinity. Um, giving your life away for another. Jesus said that you're going to love your, your, your wife as Christ loved the church, who sacrificially gave his life away. Being sacrificial is part of biblical, you know, biblical manhood. That has nothing to do with facial hair. It has to do with what does God say He created you know, men to be? Um, protecting, confronting. I mean, it's not, if you like to confront people, you've got an issue. It's not a pleasant thing to do. But it's just like in James. It's not a pleasant thing in James 1 to, you don't enjoy trials. You know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you enter into diverse temptations, as the King James said. Many different types of trials. You don't go, you know, yeehaw, new trial today. I, yeah, I love it. You know, you got a problem. What, 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 what do you rejoice in? The fruit. It is hard. I don't really want to go through this, but I know what's coming on the other side, maturity. It's kind of the same thing with some of these, these things that we're talking about here. It's... I want to give up just like you do. I want to sit down on the hill whenever it gets, gets hard. But 
but pressing myself to take another step and then another step and another step. Believe you me, on Friday and sometimes on Saturday, you know, about whatever hour into the study, I'm going, this is getting hard. (laughs) But you press on because God's people need to be fed, and it's your responsibility to do that. Bearing responsibility, knowing your responsibility, and coming up under that weight and moving forward is part of what it means to be a man. And um, laziness is one of the things that will, will hinder you. And our culture is obsessed with not working hard. In Ephesians 5.16 says time is short. Don't do it just because you want to be a biblical man. But because time is short. Give me people that I deal with as a pastor that come to their end of, the end of their life or even sometimes in the middle of their life and regret the time that's been wasted. It's amazing. I've said before, never seen a person on their deathbeds. My mother's pastor said this years ago, I've never seen somebody... On their deathbed, asked to look at their stock portfolio one more time. They never say, let me look at my soccer trophies one more time before I go off into eternity. They're reconciling with people. They're making sure they're right with their family or others. Sins confessed. But typically, there's regrets. They haven't lived for the Lord. How much time I've wasted. I've never seen a woman say, after her children are raised, I really wish I would have worked more. Really wish I would have built my career a little bit more. It's just exactly the opposite. I wish I would have stayed home with the kids. Wish I would have spent more time with, with whoever. Your time is short. Um, and one of the things that drives me, I don't want to overstate like daily, but regularly, weekly for sure, it, I have no idea how much time I have left. I really don't. I mean, I just turned 50. And I'm not, honestly, 50, 40, I really don't think about that. It, you know, at least at this point, maybe when I get sixty, I'll lament losing my hair. And do, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you have a full head of hair. You don't have any problem. So maybe that, maybe when I get there, but I haven't yet. Okay, so I can't say I'll never. What what I think about though is, I don't know whether I'm going to live to eighty or seventy or sixty. I don't know how long I'm going. I don't know whether I'm going to live through the rest of the day. But my time is short, whatever I have. And I want to maximize that time and service for Jesus Christ. And where do you maximize that service? In the church, doing what we're talking about here. Um, so whether you're you know, 20 you know, or 75 like Mark, you got a little bit of time left. Remember, I have the pulpit always. So the guy who has the pulpit gets the last laugh. Harold? Well, I mean, he's like 72 or 3, right? That's right. He's just sitting up here minding his own business. Your Mark's throwing rocks at the back of his head. Hindrances, wickedness, and laziness. So talk to me. You see how both of those things can be like siphon hoses in your spiritual tanks? Remove the leeches and the suckers that drain your spiritual vitality. They may not, might not even be bad. Um, You've got to make some decisions.
it's helpful just to be in this community. But I was thinking about yeah. the, the role of the renewal of the mind in this. We've got to keep it before us. All it the is. Time. And, and, and let me just pile on to what the, the other parts you're talking about, the positives that come from that. So we're talking about, you know, don't be lazy and the wickedness that, that's there. But when you press into that, when you, when you press into the uphill climb, you know, it's not you're on your own. I mean, the joy that God floods your soul with in obedience, there is no better feeling on the planet than to know that I have been obedient to the Lord and God is pleased with me. When I come to a crossroads and I have to make a choice and I choose Christ and I know that I have and that God is pleased with me, there is no better feeling on the planet than in those moments when I am right with God. And just like we were talking about this past Sunday, the verse that everybody takes out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's when you get to the end of your, of your human abilities, that's the moment that Christ's strength is infused in you. And there is nothing greater than, than, than feeling the spiritual energy, for lack of a better way of saying it, than, than being carried along in Christ, in Christ being, being persevering. But you have to reach the end of your spiritual, your, your, your human abilities before Christ then infuses his strength. And a lot of times we want to sit down when we've got all kinds of ability and we say, okay, God, zap me, you know, so I can do what you want me to do. So there's the pressing, but don't just think that it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's all drudgery and horrible. I mean, you have the Spirit of God that's flowing through you, bearing His fruit on a daily basis. Love and joy and peace and perseverance, self-control. Yeah. So looking at wickedness and laziness, mm-hmm. what place does recreation have in our lives? And how do we do that in a godly manner? We're running out of time. We really can't answer that. <laughs> yeah. Recreation is... Uh, uh, I think one of the things that was so helpful for me whenever I went to Israel at some point with my friend Boaz, I had him explain the idea of, of the Sabbath, Shabbat, for a, from a Jewish perspective. And we hear from the Pharisees, you know, that, that the Sabbath is this burdensome, horrible thing. Well, they made it that way. So he described from a Jewish perspective that that every day in the week is steps toward the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is the pinnacle of the week. Like I live for the Sabbath. I live for, for, for Shabbat when, when I, am, I am able to focus on God and on the gifts of God. You know, so we understand Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But I had, to, I had to really reorient myself because I'm thinking how, how, how bad you know, this is. So, you know, so Sunday, which is the first day of the week for, from a Jewish perspective, is, is down here. And then every day they're stepping toward that. And then the Sabbath is a day of light and a day of joy. Now, I'm not trying to make you all Jews, okay? Why am I sharing that? Because there's, there's joy and the good gifts from God, it's appropriate to enjoy those. And recreation is part of that. Sleep is, is part of that. Um, enjoying the gifts of God. And, and you obviously have to mediate, you know, at what point am I, you know, am I crossing the, you know, the line? It's part of the normal rhythm of life. God has built in to every day a time of rest. You have to, you're, to, you're to enjoy the food that he's given you. Uh, Ecclesiastes says the curse is all around us, but God has placed within the fallen world, outside, even outside the garden, these good things to enjoy. Food and drink and family and the wife of your youth. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts of, of, of God. And, and even that in and of itself is a way to live out you know, biblical manhood and living it out within the, you know, in the church. So they're not contrary. It's just what are you rejoicing in and to what level are you doing that? You could be in just as much sin of, of not giving thanks for the gifts that are there, neglecting the gifts that are there. Um, so I know that's probably more general than you're looking for. Do you have a specific question?
Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just in general, do you like throw all those things out or not? Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. So I, Ecclesiastes gives us categories of what of the things that God has clearly defined as he's saying enjoy these, you know, rejoice, you know, in these things. And one of the reasons I preached Ecclesiastes is because when I was... Uh, in South Africa with Joel James preaching for Joel, you know, I, I was, I didn't realize it. I mean, there's probably two times that Joel's rebuked me in, in life. One was in, uh, you know, that the Lord really used it. One was in, um, we were in the D-Men together, so we're peers. And Tracy had called me, and I don't know, she was having some issue. And I remember coming back into class, and I was grumbling, you know, because... I was going to do some homework, and I had to listen to her for like 45 minutes, and she's going on, and I'm, you know, I'm out here, and I'm doing this, and, you know, and so I come back, and he's like, what's up? You know, ha, nothing, yeah, it's fine. My wife just, I mean, 45 minutes, I was going to do some homework, and he's like, you need to repent. <laughs> if you don't have a wife or marriage, you don't have a ministry. That's your priority. Get your priorities straight, bro. You know, I'm like, yes, sir. Um, and uh, so I did. I called and asked for, for forgiveness after I repented. The second time was when I was in South Africa, and I was just talking about it, it wasn't the same kind of rebuke. I didn't need the same kind of rebuke, but I was talking how busy and what you know what's going on. How's it going? Ah, oh, it's just so busy. And you know, this is the church, and that's the church. And he looked at me and he said, "You need to read Ecclesiastes." Why do I need to read Ecclesiastes? He said, "I preached through the book, transformed my life." He said, you know, now when I come home, you know, I do my sermon work. I do what I'm supposed to do. Now when I come home, I eat dinner and I read and I sit on the couch with, with my wife. And I didn't do that before. I read Ecclesiastes. And I just kind of blew it. Yeah, that's great, you know. Do that sometimes. Six, eight months later, I was feeling that, just the heaviness of, just work, work, work all the time, those kind of things. Then Joel's, the voice of Joel came back. And uh, I was like, maybe I need to read Ecclesiastes. I started reading Ecclesiastes, and I'm like, wow, this is really helpful. And probably some of the most helpful parts of the book you know, were how God has placed legitimate joys, um, rests you know, into, you know, into life, um, so that's clearly, if, if that's a corrective that's, that, that's needed, then it's there. Um, when we're talking about wickedness and laziness, most of the time our issue is not we work too much you know, and we need rest. Our work usually is we need a kick in the pants. Oh yeah. That's a good indicator. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, I really just want to veg tonight, but I haven't talked to my wife all day, so I'm going to come home and watch ESPN. Yeah. To veg, and I'm going to snap at my wife whenever she wants to talk to me. Yeah. It's like, uh, timeout. Yeah. You know, you've got your self oriented in that that moment. Yeah. So it's not that watching ESPN is bad. Yeah. But it's there's a there's a greater priority in that moment where I'm called to shepherd my wife, love my wife. Yeah. Did you hear what he said? If your recreation or whatever you're using recreation is 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 hindering your faithfulness, taking you away from what is being you know, faithful, um, then the recreation is not the problem. It's your use of it, you know, at, at that moment. And being a man, sacrifice it. So you might want to veg out on ESPN, but if your wife needs you, you're laying your life down for her rather than yourself, you know, in that. In that moment, so evaluate your 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 recreations by by the faithfulness hindrance. You 
no, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to, you know, come to church every time the doors are open, as you know, the, you know, they, they say. But there's a lot of recreations and secondary things that keep you from being able to do that, um, and that should be your primary sphere, is is within the church. So evaluate that. What's good? Yeah. Good. Yep. It's great. Yeah. My wife is learning to be uh, either something like uh, a or car or whatever. She says, hey, back to your eyes. Okay. You cannot have an island. Yeah, if it rivals or challenges the Lord, it could be. So. Yeah. 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 For sure. Amen. Yep. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for uh, just the mind renewal. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for these men who came out this morning. I just pray that you would keep us, keep us from wickedness and laziness. Help us to have our our goals to serve the church, and help us to see, Father, if there is any spiritual siphon hoses taking away our energies or abilities to do that. Because we want to be fruitful in your church for you. And we love you, and I pray you'd preserve us in Jesus' name. Amen.